eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And just like that, we're back in another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. Thursday morning, June 10th, the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Josh Bate. Happy to have you with me. It sounded too radio-ish on the entrance. How about this instead? Hey, time to do another podcast. And I got to slow it down this week. You know, I don't always go back and listen to our recordings. But I was driving around Nashville the other day, Tuesday afternoon, and I go back and listen to the podcast. And you know how, especially if some of you listen on, well, pretty much all the platforms, you have that option where you can speed it up time and a half time and three quarter two time and I do that with a lot of podcasts because people talk slow enough where you can listen to them in two times speed and you listen to a 30 minute pod in 15 minutes well I thought I had that option I thought I thought I had that setting on as I started the late kick pod from Tuesday and I didn't I sounded like I was hopped up on cocaine there's no other way to put that I've never done cocaine in my life but if I had it would probably sound very similar to that I sounded like an auctioneer that just went for 30 minutes. I could not believe the tempo. And I think what I nailed it down to is number one, you had some good questions. Number two, I downed an entire can of that cold brew, 250 milligrams, right before I started recording. And it was just go time. And I had no concept of how fast I was talking. So I'm going to try to take a little bit more measured approach. And I know some of you want the podcast to go longer because you listen to it throughout your day and you want it to make your day go by quicker. I really think we did about an hour and a half of a show the other day, but it was in 29 minutes. So let's try and stretch things out just a little bit more here, a little bit more calm, and uh, we'll take a more measured approach this morning. But we got some good questions. We always do. If you want to submit one, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, and you can also submit DMs there, at Late Kick Josh. We have mysteriously emerged on a third platform, but I'm not going to publicize it yet because we don't have it looking the way we want to yet. If you can fill in the gaps there, you can probably go find it, but more on that later. All right, here is where we're going to start this morning. Hunter is going to be the actual person who submitted the question, but this really could be a number of you because a number of you have asked a version of this. All right, take it away, Hunter. He says, I've heard you say on a few shows and podcasts lately when disagreeing with someone about playoff expansion, you just see the sport differently than that person. I'm curious, what does that mean exactly? I did a couple of radio hits yesterday where I said this too, and I had some people DM me. I did a hit in South Dakota yesterday. That's a first. I've done Hawaii, but I had not done South Dakota. Uh, but you guys have hit me up periodically, not in a condescending tone. Some of you feel insulted, and I don't mean for it to sound that way. But you ask, 
What do you mean you see the sport differently than us? Well, here's what I'm not saying, as I so often do. I'm going to start by telling you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I have some superior viewpoint of the sport. I got the same one the rest of you do, or I have the same opportunity, I guess, to observe the sport as the rest of you do. What I mean is I feel a little bit different. I feel like I view it from a little bit different angle than some people. I don't mean on a Saturday. You and I are watching the same game. We, you know, theoretically, at least we're seeing the same thing. We see the same final 27 to 20 score. I'm not talking about that. The sport as a whole, what are we looking at? It's the difference in you and I living in the same country, but maybe you vote one way, I vote the other way. We just see the world differently. So I guess that's the best way. But to give you an on-the-ground example, when I'm arguing about playoff, you'll notice more and more I just don't do it. I said everything I could ever want to say about the playoff to lead off the Tuesday podcast. We have talked about this. Okay, so you and I, no different than if we go hang out at a barbecue joint for lunch. We have talked about this. We have ironed it out. And we have arrived at our philosophical conclusions. And there is a 99.9% chance my mind's not changing. And if you disagree with me and you've spoken your mind, you've heard my viewpoint, and it has really not affected your viewpoint, 99% of the time you're not changing your thought process either. Does that mean that I love the sport and you hate the sport? Not necessarily. I think there are a ton of people out there who are every bit as passionate about this sport as me, who are polar opposite, just diametrically opposed in terms of what they think the best playoff format is. I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm, I'm not happy about it, but I'm okay with it. But when I say I view the sport differently than you do, basically that is an an unending button. That's a the end. That's an exit sign to that conversation. Because we could either do one of two things. We could sit there and just keep banging our heads against a wall, or we could realize, hey, I guess we just see things differently. Shake hands. Let's walk away. See you Saturday at the tailgate. And that's kind of the way that I've found myself exiting a lot of these conversations. I was doing radio yesterday, and one of the hosts that I was talking to was just so steadfast in their denial that four was better than eight, or that eight was better than 12. And I just disagree, and I've stated a million times, I'm not going to go back down this rabbit hole. I've stated a million times. I simply believe that a postseason should be about excellence, not inclusion. I do not care about guaranteed representation for all conferences. I do not, I could, I could not care less whether the G5 as a collective has a guaranteed spot at the table. Now, I think the, the concept of auto bids is dumb, but I know what the counter is. The counter is, well, Josh, don't you want to keep the whole country invested? Of course I do. I just differ in what I think the answer to that is. What I think the answer is, is holding athletic departments accountable. I'm of the belief that there are many, many, many more programs out there capable of competing year in and year out that don't right now. I don't believe this sport and the playoff and the structure of college football is built for only four or five programs to succeed. That's ludicrous. It is absolutely ludicrous. When we nail down what wins and what it takes to win, you're not going to tell me ever with honesty in your eyes that only Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma have that. Do you know how I know that, by the way? The way I know it is LSU went from having never made the playoff before, period, in program history, to not only making it, but winning it in 2019. What did they have? They had the right combination of stuff. Now, what they didn't have is sustainability, and I think that is one of the big questions about LSU this year, but LSU came out of nowhere and just all of a sudden won one in 2019. So it's obvious the door wasn't locked. It's not that they found some magic key. No, there's a way in, but to zoom it out from LSU and to talk bigger picture, not enough good hires are made in college football. Not enough dude diligence is being done. I think we may look back on this period of college football 30 years from now and look at some of the hires that were made. Maybe some of you already think this way. And you just scratch your head and you say, I cannot believe fill-in-the-blank university hired fill-in-the-blank coach. Look at how long it set them back in the grand scheme of things. Fill-in-the-blank university had an opportunity. They hired the wrong guy. 
they were in the wilderness for 20 plus years. Can you imagine if we could hit the rewind button and let Tennessee have a do-over when they moved on from Phil Fulmer? What if they would have made the right hire? What if they would have nailed that? When Texas made the decision to move on from Mac Brown, what if they would have nailed that? I mean, these are programs with every discernible advantage that other programs have. They should have that especially Texas, but I argue even Tennessee should have that. They made poor hires. The system did not hold them down. The system is not holding them down now. They have held themselves down. They have cut their own legs out from under them. So how does this tie into the playoff? Well, what I'm talking about is I'm looking around and I'm seeing a bunch of very, very poor collective decisions being made in the hiring process. And then programs pay the price with a very bad on-field product. But then instead of taking personal responsibility, a lot of these ADs see a convenient exit door over here. Or, you know, they think that instead of looking at the pile of crap in their left hand, being their hiring and their decisions, they can just snap their fingers. They can wave a magic wand over here in their right hand and count on a lot of you to be gullible seals and just, oh, oh, oh. And you look over at the magic wand and they say, look, 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 playoff, expansion, opportunity. This is what we need. Here, here's what will be fair. And all the while, the pile of crap is still in the other hand. And that's reality. That's what it is. But it's a lot easier to sell the public on the idea that the system is holding college football down rather than a bunch of very, very poor decision making. And I will say this before I move on, because I have made my point, Hunter. If you want a very, very good kind of glimpse into the world of how these decisions are made, I'm going to talk about something tonight on Late Kick Live that is not about the playoff, but it is about how the hiring process and firing process works. I, when I was a kid growing up, used to always believe that there was something mythical about an AD and about the athletic department and the way that these decisions are made. And I thought that these people just thought on such a higher intellectual level. And I thought that they had forgotten more about having knowledge of college football than I'll ever understand. And these people are just speaking a language I could never understand. They're not. They're not. Some of them are totally ignorant when it comes to this process. You would be stunned at the power a newspaper article in the local paper has on influencing these people. In, our, in the real world, in the big boy decision-making world, nothing the media is saying about your coach should ever be impacting your decision because you have your own closed off principles and values and observational techniques and you have full wherewithal and knowledge of the inner workings. That should never impact you, but yet it does all the time and it leads to poor decisions. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit tonight. But yeah, Hunter, so uh, in a roundabout way that lasted like eight minutes, that's what I mean when I say I see it maybe a little bit differently than some other people. Kyle is up next. He said, let's say Bama doesn't win the SEC this year. If you looked into a crystal ball and you saw the winner in December, how many teams from the conference would not shock you to be holding the trophy? Good question, Kyle. And this would be, what a turn of events this would be. I mean, this would open a lot of doors. So let's say Bama's not going to win it. All right, well, that means by default, we're opening up the Western door. So Texas A&M obviously would not shock me. LSU would not shock me. Ole Miss is my third team there that would not shock me. It would shock me a little bit if Mississippi State, Auburn, or Arkansas were there. I guess that's that's as close as I would come to being shocked. I don't use the word shocked a lot, but yeah. So those are the teams from the West. Uh, obviously, Vanderbilt in the East would shock me. South Carolina would shock me. Tennessee would shock me. Florida would not. Georgia would not. Missouri and Kentucky, they would very much surprise me, but I'm not going to go as far as to say they would shock me. But if they ran up against, I don't know, how, it would have to be someone other than Alabama. There is no world where I see Missouri or Kentucky beating Alabama in Atlanta. But maybe if Alabama has this terrible luck with injury sort of year and some team limps out of the West as opposed to surging out of the West. And it's just one of those weird years where you have 
have an abnormally non-elite matchup of powers in Atlanta, then I guess Missouri or Kentucky theoretically could pull it off. But I think even that would probably shock me. So yeah, I think the only ones that would not shock me are Georgia, Florida, LSU, A&M, Ole Miss because of the offensive firepower. It would not shock me if they were able to pull that off. Rolling on here, Mark is next up. He said, what are your current top five recruiting programs? Mark, this is no particular order. Let's go Bama. Well, it is in order because that's the best right now. Ohio State, LSU, now we've gotten out of order possibly. Georgia. I think I'm going to put Clemson here, but if you look at the rankings, Clemson's probably not recruited at a perennial top five level for the past five years combined. What I think they do is they do not take as many kids because they normally don't have as much room. But also, I think if you look at that average star rating, they hit at an insanely high rate. There's not a ton of attrition there. I think this past year, maybe notwithstanding, there's not a ton of attrition there. Uh, They send a lot of kids to the draft. So I think offensive line is what I'd love to see them recruit a lot better. I don't think any Clemson fan listening to agrees with that. But if not them, Oregon's up there. Texas A&M's up there. You know, to be honest, if we were doing a projection next five years, Texas A&M's going to be in here. They're going to be one of the five best. I don't know at the expense of which other program we got to knock out, but A&M's going to be in there. All right, onward we move. And full disclosure, I have been sipping on one of those uh, 250 milligram caffeine cans as I record. So it's possible that I'm talking too fast again. I don't have anybody here. It's just me alone. Lance is producing this week while Jordan's on vacation. Now, if Lance were sitting in front of me behind a, you know, a glass wall, he'd be able to say, speed it up, slow it down. But there's no one here right now. I'm literally talking into foam padding or as we call it, noise cancellation. And the foam looks the same way the foam always has. So I hope that everyone is keeping up. thought I'd never say that in my life because I grew up Where I grew up, let me tell you, I had the thickest Southern accent you've ever heard in your life when I was growing up. And there is footage that I have on me personally. I have not made it public. Maybe one day I will. I have to have long since been established. I have to be financially secure. I cannot have anyone able to hold this over my head. So when that time comes, and believe me, we are not there yet, I will release this for public consumption. And it'll be stuff that is used in roasts for years to come. But I say that to say, if you would have ever told 10-year-old or 15-year-old JP that one day he's going to have to slow down his delivery because people are unable to keep up, that would have been mind-blowing. Not for me, necessarily. I would have loved it. But for anyone who knew me, they would have laughed you off the face of the earth if you suggested that. But yet, here we are. Funny how life works. So I don't, I forgot the name on this question. You know who you are. Thank you for your submission. In your opinion, what is the best game day atmosphere that's not one of the obvious choices like LSU or Ohio State or etc. I've spoken about this before. It's South Carolina to me. Mississippi State's up there too, but it's South Carolina. Now, before I continue, you got to remember I covered football in the South, and I've been outside the South a little bit. Like, I've been to the Rose Bowl. I've been to Clemson. I've been to some of these places, but I have not been to Michigan. I've not been to Penn State, although Penn State wouldn't qualify here because they're not under the radar, but I have not been to a lot of places. Before I get back to South Carolina, I've got one in mind that I really think is going to exceed expectation if I'm able to make it to the Iowa-Iowa State game this year. I think that's week two. If if I'm able to make it there, I've always gotten the feeling watching from a distance, watching down in Georgia or Tennessee, that that place is insane. I just don't think that the public understands the spectacle of it because it's not in a huge media market. It's not perennial top five teams facing off. You know, you don't have your precious playoff ramifications on it, although this year maybe you will. But because of that, there's just not this white hot spotlight placed on it like there would be Bama at LSU with everything on the line or Texas OU in the Cotton Bowl. I think 
think that atmosphere probably very much over delivers, except for the locals up there because they know what to expect. So TBD on that one. I, I hope to make it up there this year. But South Carolina is extremely underrated. South Carolina never gets included on these lists. And I've been to Clemson games and South Carolina games. I got to be honest with you. I, let me just say it like this. South Carolina home field atmosphere does not take a back seat in that state. Clemson probably gets more national acclaim because, well, number one, the program's been good for quite a while now. Nationally good for quite a while. And number two, because they have a novelty aspect to their game day atmosphere that South Carolina doesn't have. If you watch on TV, I mean, the spectacle of those buses pulling up and touching Howard's Rock and running down that hill, that's awesome. And they release the balloons while they're at it. That's awesome. I mean, you don't have to be in the stadium to appreciate that. And so I think that that captures the imagination of a lot of people. Where And also, I think the in-stadium color scheme probably does a bigger favor to Clemson. But I've been there. I mean, I've been there for big games, and I've been at South Carolina for big games. Carolina is just as insane. I may Maybe it doesn't come across on TV, or maybe you haven't been able to see that atmosphere enough because they haven't played in as many big games in your life time or in in just the last 10 years, but I've been up there even when they're big underdogs. Until they get down, it's insane. It's really, really hostile, really crazy. So I'm going to say South Carolina, uh, Mississippi State, I've talked about that one before, but again, with the caveat that I got to get out more. I got to get to more places. I've never been to a game at Utah. I think it sounds incredible on TV. The Iowa games, I think, sound incredible. Blacksburg, Virginia Tech, I don't think that one's off the radar. You know, people talk about that one, but I haven't been up there. I've given thought to going up there for the Friday night home opener against North Carolina. That's not off the table yet. I've given thought to that, so we'll see, because I'm going to be in Charlotte for that Saturday game, Clemson, Georgia. So it's, you know, it's doable. It's doable. Not all on the road, but it's doable. Speak of the devil. I didn't plan it this way, but I'm going to pretend I did. Tim asks a question about that opener, that Clemson, Georgia opener, and, um, I think it's one that we've already been asking. I think a lot of the country is going to be asking it as that date creeps ever closer, and we'll hit it right when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Tim asks a very basic question. What happens if Georgia loses to Clemson? What happens if Clemson loses to Georgia? I assume he's talking about the rest of the year, postseason ramifications. All right, so the first rule on our show is we do not talk about playoff ramifications before it's time to talk about them, i.e. week one of the college football season. And we won't be when this game happens. I can virtually assure you we won't be. There'll be like 37 other places you can go to if you need that. If you need to know whether Clemson's out of the playoff after week one, a lot of places are going to have you covered. We'll just talk about the game, knowing how 
unpredictable the sport is week to week. So I think what we're asking here, though, is from a very broad perspective, is it possible that one of these teams is just either out of it or total back against the wall mentality the rest of the year? Yeah, that's possible. I think more possible for Clemson because as we've talked about before with G5 teams, I am not a believer that any G5 team should be in the college football playoff. Not because they're not good enough in and of themselves or that they couldn't compete in and of themselves. That's never been my reason. My reason has always been about the need or what should be the requirement of earning a spot in the playoff or going through a certain minimum baseline of challenge that your schedule presents. And that's what I've always had against the idea that a G5 team makes the playoff because they're playing a schedule that I think I could take a lot of three loss teams from the SEC, put in front of them and have them go undefeated. So it doesn't prove anything in and of itself to me that you go undefeated. The counter, of course, from the G5 crowd has always been, well, how can you know how good we are until you put us in the playoff and let us prove it? I can't. I can't know how good you are. It's a moot point as far as I'm concerned. Uh, The second thing is, how can we do anything better than go undefeated? We can only play the teams in front of us. You're right. That's why you should have your own playoff. Instead of pretending the, the G5 and P5 world exists collectively and you get credit for beating Akron, but if Ohio State schedules Akron, they get criticized for it, for scheduling a cupcake. Like, what? Can we at least try and be intellectually honest a little bit? So anyway, circle back to this. With Clemson, just to prove that I'm consistent in this and I'm not just a G5 hater, which I'm not, uh, the concept of them making a playoff with P5 teams may be a little bit different, but to prove I'm not a G5 hater, I am probably going to look at that Clemson schedule and I'm going to look at it right now, not knowing how the season pans out. And there is absolutely, Tim, a chance that I could look at it and say, if you lose to Georgia, the rest of your schedule very much resembles the strength that an AAC schedule would have. Uh, Maybe even weaker in some years than what an AAC team plays. And so I know it gets real tough to say ACC, AAC. The AAC is the league where UCF, Cincinnati, Memphis, Houston plays in. And it's the league where Cincinnati went undefeated last year and couldn't get in the playoff. Well, the reason they couldn't is because they did not have the opportunity to prove that they belong. It's not their fault. They could have won a million to nothing every week. It would not have granted them the opportunity to hit that minimum baseline of struggle, of challenge presented by their schedule. Well, if we look at this Clemson schedule post-Georgia, they better hope the ACC is better than expected this year, or I don't know that Clemson's going to have big opportunities. Now, here's the difference, and here's where you guys are right when you talk about the privilege that the Power Five teams enjoy. If you were to tell me it doesn't matter if Clemson wins in week one, if they run the table the rest of the way and they win the ACC title, they will be in the playoff. I would agree with you. I would agree with you or I would agree with the prediction. Now, I don't know that I would be okay with the logic, but again, we would have to see the rest of the season play out. So if Clemson loses, that discussion will be on the table. I'm going to try and push it later in the year, but that discussion would be on the table. If Georgia loses, I'm not so sure it does a whole lot because the question for them is going to still remain the same. Can you win the East? I think they will, probably. Can you get to Atlanta? They would, if they win the East, obviously. And can you beat Alabama, theoretically? And so if they do all those things, I don't really think anyone's looking back and saying, yeah, I know that you went 11-1 and and then you got to Atlanta, you beat Alabama, but we got to hold this loss against you. If anything, I think they could probably afford two losses. If one of them is competitive to Clemson and another one is, I mean, I don't know, let's say Florida. Let's say they got beat by Florida, but yet they still made it to Atlanta and they beat Alabama. And the last thing you saw of Georgia and their two-loss resume is of them beating Nick Saban in Alabama and Atlanta and winning the SEC. They're not going to be kept out. So if anything, Georgia could lose week one, maybe still have some cushion and still have all of their objectives in front of them. Next up is Hayden. Hayden's got kind of a Big 12 question, but 
Well, it's a fun one. So here it is. Ole Miss last season had a crazy offense, like a Big 12 team. I'm no Ole Miss fan, but let's say you put that 2020 team in the Big 12. How do you think that shakes out? I think Ole Miss could have gotten to the Big 12 title game and been ranked in the top 25. I do agree they would have been a top 25 team. I also think that you may be surprised at how much more equipped the Big 12 would have been to handle them a little bit offensively than you realize. I know the talent level out there may be a little bit different, but they understand and long ago learned how to adapt defensively in the Big 12. And so I think in a lot of ways, I think Iowa State would have been a lot more successful against Ole Miss than Alabama was. Now, Iowa State would not have dropped 62, but I don't think they would have given up 40 plus either. I really don't. I just think they've long since been adapted to the Big 12. But here's the other thing you have to remember. Big 12 football is not what it was a decade ago. This is not how all the offenses operate out there anymore. I think it was Chris Hummer here at 24-7 that talked to Dave Aranda, who's the head coach at Baylor, about a month ago and had him go really in-depth on this. Now, I think the perception of Big 12 football, you got to make sure you calibrate that with what your eyeballs are seeing today. Today's Big 12 is much less wide open than the SEC is. Now imagine being put in a time capsule and frozen for a decade and waking up and seeing that. I mean, imagine seeing Baylor, for example, or TCU or Texas Tech being a lot more two-back sets and then you turn on Alabama and they're five wide all over the place and in four receivers into the first rounds of the NFL draft. What would you think had happened? You'd think Nick Saban wasn't there anymore. You'd think that someone from the Big 12 has taken a job in the SEC. It's just not the way it's happened. It's evolved. And so Ole Miss, if you dropped them in the Big 12 last year, they would have had probably more success in terms of a win-loss record. But I also think that the Big 12 may have been a little bit more suited to defend them than you think they would have been, I ultimately think the Big 12 would have spat out the same conference champion. Corbin had a question. I was on the fence about answering this one today. I'm going to end up pushing it to next week because it could be one of those answers that's four minutes or 14 minutes. I've done portions of this, but I've never done it in its entirety. I'll give you the question and then I'll, I'll tell you it's going to come next week sometime. And I'll put it at the end of the podcast so if you're not interested, you don't have to listen through it to get to the good stuff. Corbin said, would you be able to give a summary of your broadcasting career in the Late Kick Extra podcast? or even in just an email reply. I hear you often reference here and there or different places you've been. I was just curious how you got into broadcasting. Where did you start? How did you get involved with CBS and 24-7? And how did you get the platform you currently enjoy? I'd be happy to tell that story. I think it's really good for other people to hear, especially anyone who aspires to be in this business. However, again, it could go 20 minutes. So I'm going to put that, let's say I'll put that on the tail end of either the next Tuesday or next Thursday, Late Kick Extra, and we'll have fun if you're into that sort of thing. If you're not into that sort of thing, you can tune out and we'll all be good. As for now, I got to go get ready to do a show tonight. So remember, I saw some of you pour in those five-star reviews over on the Apple Podcast review section. Keep those coming. We're inching ever closer to 1,500 there, which we thought it would take like a decade to get to, and it's going to take less than a year, it looks like. Uh, Thank you for that. And remember, we're looking to boost followers. Right now, our main emphasis is followers on Instagram, followers on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. Imperative for reasons that will make sense five years from now, but right now, now, it just sounds like I want more followers. Well, I do, but for reasons that are going to benefit you and me. I have a little selfish stake here, but it's going to benefit you too. You'll see in the long run. So at Late Kick Josh, and also, as I said, the marketing aspect of this, when you screenshot the fact that you're listening to the show, when you screenshot the fact that you're watching the show, or you just give it a good old-fashioned shout-out on Twitter, make sure you tag me in those. You put them on those Instagram stories, make sure you tag me in those, because I like to share as many of those as I can. That does better than us spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on commercial advertising or more. It does way more for us than anything in our 
our wallet could ever do. So again, eternally grateful. Gotta get out of here. Have yourselves a great rest of your Thursday. For producer Lance, I'm Josh Bate. This has been the Late Kick Extra Podcast. Take care and God bless.